and did it again. I got to be gentle. That's, that's sort of surfacey. So you're trying to move the external chess pieces where all the time it's, it emerges from a heart of pride and where you should say, Lord, forgive me for my pride. Help me. Give me a humble heart. Then that flows out gentleness. Often we're just trying to, to move the chess pieces and keep from being harsh and just be nice. You can search the scriptures anywhere. The scriptures doesn't tell us to be nice. That's like a veneer over rotten wood. It tells us to be kind, tender-hearted, humble, gentle, over and over again. This is the character that Paul is seeking individually and corporately as a church. Commentator Frank Thielman says this, these two terms together, humility and gentleness, then refer to an attitude that both recognizes one's true position before God, i.e. in need of his help, and is willing to be kind and gracious to others even when circumstances might excuse one from showing these qualities. And we must remember the words of our Lord Jesus. He didn't, he, he says, what, what good is it to you if you love uh, just your friends and your family? That's what the Gentiles do. We must love our enemies. Whew, that's tough. This is, a, this is what Paul is, is after here. Not just an easy love, not just the easy route, but a patience, a gentleness, a love that even extends to those who are hard around us. Third, Paul lists that word patience. It means basically to persist in one's convictions despite difficult circumstances. And that's why I wanted to highlight earlier, Paul says, I'm in chains. He is, he is trying to live out patiently the call of God in his life while he's sitting in a jail cell under difficult circumstances, under suffering. We often joke about praying for patience, um, that it's a, a scary prayer, and it is, because we know that God will often answer us with difficult situations, difficult circumstances, and yet he brings those into our lives to develop patience, to grow that muscle of patience in our hearts that we would trust him no matter what's going on around us. The King James Version supplies the word long-suffering, uh, and it, it, it means just the way it sounds. It's suffering long, whether it be with people around you in your workspace, in your family, in your church that are difficult, uh, or an extenuating circumstance that's out of your control. It's, it's trusting the Lord when things hit your life that you cannot control. The fourth word here goes a step further. It's bearing with one another, which highlights mutual tolerance for one another. Uh, it, it's that when we disagree on minor points of the faith, we actually say, brother, sister, I disagree, but I still love you. And you're walking in unity together, even though those minor disagreements pop up. Those are hard. And what we must remember is don't mistake unity with uniformity. In other words, don't think that we've got to believe every little jot and tittle together and agree on those things and still not have unity. What we're after is a unity and diversity, and we'll see this in the next uh, clip in Ephesians. Is it, it, Paul says there's diversity of gifts, but there's still unity in one body. The final quality of walking according to our calling is love. 
the Greek word here is agape. Uh, if you've studied uh, love in the Greek, there's, there's four words for it. Usually you would use phileo, brotherly love. So where you get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, but here it's agape. It's a supernatural love. This is what it takes. It takes God supernaturally working within us through his spirit to actually love. We can't do it by ourselves. It's impossible to truly love in the highest form. Yet without love, none of these above qualities are even fruitful. Even possible. In Colossians 3.14, Paul makes a similar statement. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love. Pursuing love at all costs. Then he turns to this eager pursuit. Look at verse 3. So we have these qualities. Look at verse 3 with me. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul brings it all to a climax with this. We're not just to seek these virtues individually. We're to eagerly, even energetically, even intentionally pursue unity. That's to be our heart. When, when, when we get in a, a, a biblical conflict with someone or have a hard conversation, our heart is, we're battling, let me pursue unity. Lord, let me, show me how that works. Show me how to pursue this. Show me how to follow up and, and make this well. Show me how to keep walking. We need that. We need help. Notice he uses the word maintain which means to keep in good order something that already exists. Maintain the unity of the Spirit, which he's he's saying, look, the Spirit of God has already made this actual. You are to grab onto it, walk into it, and cling to it, maintain it as best as possible within reason. That's our calling. The 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 unity of the church is the unity that the Spirit of God has achieved, and yet we're called to walk in that achievement practically to apply it to our lives. This is all bonded together by peace. You look here, he says, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We could translate that word fastener, in the fastener of peace. There's a a tight bond. There's something that bonds us together, fastens it together. Maybe think, in the last couple of weeks, I've been putting together deer stands, ladder stands, and they come in this box about this high and about this wide, but they're 16 to 20 feet high once you get them built together. But you can't build them. They, they come with a, a bazillion nuts and bolts. And you, you can't achieve that height or stability or sturdiness without the nuts and bolts all in their proper place and tightened up. If you had no nuts and bolts, it would still be a flat stack of steel nothing not useful and so Paul says look what is the bond that bonds us all together it's peace pursuing peace with one another it's the fastener that keeps us together that holds us together this is God's church and without peace with one another we have nothing we are to pursue peace This is not to mean we shouldn't shy away from difficult conversations or disagreements, but we should pursue those in a biblical tone and character as best as possible. And when we don't, we follow up. We retrace our paths and and with tenderhearted forgive and ask for forgiveness. I hope this is happening within our families, within our marriages, within our church. 
That's what brings about thick, deep relationships. If you think about your, your, your closest friendships, those closest friendships are those which um, you can have hard conversations with. And you know it's, it, you're going to keep moving. It, you're, you're bound by a love for one another. You keep moving. You forgive. And you keep moving together. That is the picture here. So that is a walk that Paul and the Lord through Paul is calling us to. But look at our second point. This walk, very briefly, is rooted in the unity of the truth. Look at verses 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul here anchors this truth back into the truth of God's character and work. He wouldn't say this if our God isn't all these things. He wouldn't say these things if God is not one. And that's what we see. We see seven pillars here of of theological orthodoxy. He uses the number one as a play on words. One playing on unity. Unity is one. What's he say? There's one body. That is, there's only one worldwide church. We have to remember, we're, we're a small part of the worldwide global church, the body of Christ. And we're called even to unity as best as possible in that. There's one spirit. There's only one spirit that brings about God's work. There's one hope. Our hope is centered on the work of Christ that is finished. There's one Lord. There are no other lords that brings about such a wonderful salvation. There's one faith. There's, there's not multiple faiths, multiple paths that we can follow to God. There's one path, and that is through Christ alone. There's one baptism. There's no need to be rebaptized. When, when God places his covenant seal on you, you are his. Lastly, there's one God. This is the most important truth. There are not multiple gods that we can seek or serve. There is one true God goes back to the Shema of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But even more beautifully, he says this. He adds that title, God our Father. He puts the exclamation point here by highlighting that God is not a distant ruler who is an ogre, vengeful, angry God. No, he is our father. In fact, he is a good father. He is relational. He's low with us. He comes down to our level and he draws us in, which means that we are his children. We are his family and we're in this together. Lastly, our God is three major things. He's preeminent over all. He's powerful through all and he's present in all. He is a God who's preeminent, powerful, and present in every way possible. That is our God. Because God is love, because God is unified, He is one, He has called us to eagerly pursue unity in the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your work in us. Without your power, 
without your presence, without your preeminence, we are nothing. Thank you that you're a good father, Lord. Help us as sinners laden with sin often in our hearts. Help us to pursue one another in these ways, humbly, gently, patiently, forbearingly, with love. Oh God, we need you. Strengthen First Pres. Let us be a, a unified one for your glory and your glory alone. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, please, and we'll sing the doxology to